Welcome to the After the Set podcast, where we dive deep into the transformative moments of an entrepreneur's journey, unearthing the stories behind their biggest challenges. From their hurdles to their high rises, discover the untold stories that led to their success from before the set till after the rise. Today, we have a really special guest. She is the community manager over at Digital Marketer. Please welcome Michelle Knight to the show. Hi, Michelle. Hi, Gabe. Thank you for having me. It's always been a pleasure to have you, and I've been dying to actually get you on the show. Like, this is, I think, my fifth episode, sixth episode that I recorded. So um, I guess everyone's been a digital marketer that I've had previously. And right now, it's someone who's actually working inside digital marketer and who does mechanics for it. So it's been a pleasure to have you here, actually. And well, um, well, let me stop talking and let me introduce you. What can you tell us about yourself? Uh, so like I said, my name is Michelle. I am the community manager at Digital Marketer. I've been here, uh, depending on who you talk to, almost 10 years. <laughs> So I've seen a lot. I've worked with a lot of people. Honestly, I've worked with people exactly like you and people who are listening to the podcast for damn near a decade now. So I, I don't want to call myself an expert on that avatar, but I'm a little bit of an expert. Well, you've earned the right to be an expert, right? I mean, I'd hope so by now. I think, is there anyone specifically inside the digital marketer community, regardless if they met you at TNC, or would there be anyone who's gone through digital marketer who doesn't know who you are? Oh, I bet there are plenty. I bet that there are so many. Just because digital marketers had such big names associated with it, that I'm really only here um, as kind of like a best buddy or pal while you're with us. So... Um, if you don't get to that stage, then probably not. And it's weird because you are so ingrained in the community that is digital marketer that you're like, what? But yeah, uh, I am kind of more like this. I'm definitely more, if I had to put my position in the customer value journey, I'm definitely more um, in the ascend and advocate stage. Okay, so for everyone that's listening in that doesn't understand what a customer value journey, do you want to walk them through that? Uh, sure. So the customer value journey is the framework that digital marketer holds, which is going to sound very familiar because love to Ryan, love to Richard and all them. It's not some like groundbreaking uh, framework. It's something that most marketers know, um, but the customer value journey is specifically a digital marketer property. Um, so it's essentially uh, the roadmap or journey that someone takes from where they become aware of your existence to becoming your biggest advocate, your biggest fan, someone who is out there sending you referrals and promoting you. So it's everything that happens in between there. So uh, the customer value journey, if I, if I mess this up, I'm getting fired, I swear. <laughs> but awareness, engagement, uh, subscribe, convert, excite, ascend, advocate and promote are the different stages. Eight stages of customer value journey. Look at me. Got it. One shot. <laughs> <laughs> well, cause um, I've based my whole like experience the past three years on the customer value journey. And it's like, I find it the most fascinating thing that I've ever like that's ever been created because at the same time, like now I have an ideal path of knowing exactly how my customer like becomes customer from scratch. And mm -hmm. that's the coolest thing is to understand like that situation, that whole relationship that you have when they first start with you 
till the end. So that's why it's before the set, before the rise, till after the set. Yeah. It's like, I found that fascinating because that's exactly like how life happens, right? There's mm-hmm. before and after every stage. And like now there's showcasing like how the before becomes the after. So that's yeah. where exactly where I fell in love with that journey. But within that journey also, marketing and humanism altogether, there's also certain touch points, right? And one of them is community management. Mm-hmm. That's where you fall in, right? Yes. So community management uh, itself has like a very broad definition because there's not really one. It is all over the place, but essentially it's a relationship builder. So a community manager on like a social media team could be the person who's out there finding mentions, responding to comments. They're building relationships in that awareness and engage stage with people to just kind of build that rapport with them. Now, in the digital marketer uh, situation, uh, this is more, I kind of align it more with customer success because it's after they've already purchased something from us, they become a member of our communities because they're all gated. And then I am kind of their buddy, their accountability buddy, their friend who is helping them walk through the digital marketer ecosystem and connect them with people. So I'm building a relationship with someone who has already kind of taken a leap of faith on us. Okay. So at any point of that, did uh, you ever feel like imposter syndrome getting into it or... Like, how did you end up in your position? Every damn day. But we'll talk about a little bit how I got into it. So uh, I mentioned I've been with Digital Marketer for forever, 10 years now. Um, And during, I think it was like my first two years was whenever Community Highness started to become recognized from a brand perspective. Don't mind my husband there. But it became uh, recognized from a brand perspective as an opportunity to really connect with customers. Uh, And someone started that here. Her name is Susie Nelson. She's incredible. She's ex-digital marketer, ex-meta. She's amazing. And she was the one who really ran with the concept of connecting with your customers can create this bond and loyalty that you can't find in other ways. Um, she left the company to work for Meta. I'm only a little salty about it. It's fine. If she's going to go anywhere, Meta was the place. Um, and I just kind of saw a way to sneak my way in. I was doing uh, account management for our certified partner program, and there was an existing community, and it was not nurtured at all. So I was just like, I'm going to take that, and I'm going to see what I can do with it based off of what Susie teaches. And uh, at some point, the main role of digital marketing community manager came up and I, was, and I just raised my hand. I was like, I want it. Can, can, I, can I have that puppy in the window, please? <laughs> and so they took a chance on me. And here I am. It's been actually it started in March of 2020. So like two weeks before we all left the office is when I started being the community manager. So that worked out great. Yeah, it worked out pretty well. It was definitely interesting. So you mentioned that you raised your hand and just went for it. Like, what made you at that point? What feeling did you have that made you raise your hand? Well, since we had had them, I been involved in a customer care kind of aspect. Like, I was just kind of like on the outside looking in, and uh, I helped out with customer care issues and stuff like that. Uh, but it was just fun. 
which sounds weird out loud because work being fun. Oh, no. But it was a lot of fun to just get to interact with people. And so I just continued to show interest in it. And I was like, you know what? Why not? Susie was one of my best friends. So I talked to her and she was like, I absolutely think that you can do it. And so I just took that little boost of confidence that she gave me (laughs) and used that to propel myself forward. So Susie was your mentor, pretty much. Yeah, uh, I would definitely consider her a mentor. Oh. And what role did the, play out of the company as a whole have to help you get into your position? There was a lot. Um, honestly, I don't think I would have gotten into my position if I hadn't had the support that I had. Um, the people who supported me at that time are no longer here because they went on to bigger and better things. Only a little bit salty about it. But um, I... They just recognized where I kind of glowed, where I really enjoyed things. Um, One of the things I don't like about account management is renewals and having to ask for more money. Uh, Because if someone tells me no, I'm like, okay, fine. You don't want it. That's fine. (laughs) Which is a very crucial part of account management. Um, But I really enjoyed the relationship building. And I liked planning events. And I liked involving myself in their day-to-day through the Facebook group and emails and all that stuff. And a leadership noticed at the time it was Marcus Murphy and a man named Michael Ashcraft. And so when the opportunity came and I kind of like, was like, Oh, I would like that. Uh, From what I understand, they advocated for me in the big room. Uh, They were like, from what I know, obviously I wasn't there, so I can't say, but from what I was told is they were like, we all know Michelle is the right one for this position. She, has the desire and she has the ability there's no reason not to make her this person that's great it was really uh, (laughs) well the community has uh, expanded over the years right i know there's three thousand plus inside the engage there's about 200 something inside uh certified partners there's probably more that i'm not a part of do you control them all you have like a specific way or method that you can actually get them all together or? So um, I do control them all. So that means I have all the power, but no, (laughs) I do run all of them and community at digital marketer. It looks like membership and partnership programs where obviously you pay a certain fee either annually or monthly to continue being a part of. And then we also have cohort based programs, challenges, things like that. Those all fall under my jurisdiction. Um, How do I do them all? I don't know at this point. (laughs) I think, uh, One of the biggest things is organization, which is funny enough, if you can't tell from my childhood bedroom, not my biggest forte. But for some reason, when it comes to this and my ability to use Google Drive, it works out pretty well. I have like a full content calendar that lists out the different communities and different promotions that are running. And I write down everything a month ahead of time. And then I write out all of the content ahead of time as well. At minimum, a week ahead of time in the perfect world, a month ahead of time which is really what helps because if I couldn't do that, that would just be me writing and posts constantly every single day and scrambling to get stuff done and then responding to people and hosting different calls. It would be a lot. Wow. Cause I remember you have a, you're on Slack too all the time. You're on, so that's all a lot of community. 
And that's I am a lot of control. And uh, how do you handle the feedback that comes around that or criticisms? Well, uh, one of the better things you can do in community is surveys. Everyone loves a survey, but in community, I feel like it's definitely more important because it's a one-to-many kind of thing. Mm -hmm. It's me with 3,300, 400 people, sometimes 150, depending on the community. Um, And so it's a good way for me to get uh, information that will be helpful to both of us. without having to say, sit on 20 hours worth of phone calls. So surveys are the best way for me to go about that. Surveying the members and then taking what I get and presenting it to the team in a understandable fashion. So like some, some feedback is not constructive feedback. Sometimes like I think the feedback that sticks with me after years now is it's very feminine. And I was just sitting there like, I am feminine. <laughs> like, <laughs> I am a girl. I am a, a female. So, yes, of course, the conversation starters are going to be a little feminine because that's just who I am. Um, and so that always stuck with me. And it's like, what am I going to do? That For me to not be feminine would be me not being authentic. So that feedback just kind of goes in the eh, pile. But then there's stuff along the lines of, I wish that we had more tactical type of prompts or kind of case studies to apply in which that case that's just on me to then provide that i think the most important thing there is closing the feedback loop honestly closing it directly so uh do you do this all by yourself or do you have a team that helps you yes and no (laughs) so most of it is on me but I do have a supportive team at Digital Marketer. Like just this morning, I we're hosting an event next month for Modern Marketing Mastermind. I need signage. I don't know if you've ever seen anything I've made in Canva. Canva would not advertise it. <laughs> they would not like it. They would not make it into a template. But uh, Mark, great at graphic design. So he made the signage. I'm just going to get it printed and glue it to a, a sign. So I have stuff like that where it's if I need something, I need to accomplish something, but I don't have the skills or the knowledge, I reach out to someone else on my team to assist with it. But as far as like actual execution, that's a lot of just team of one. Yeah. So when it comes to all that, when it comes to everything that you've done and everything that you have to, what would you say is that biggest setback that you had received? Or something that brought you down to the point where it's like you felt like you couldn't do this and then just overcame it. It was kind of a storm of things. It was during COVID shutdowns. Um, I had just started in the position as my full-time position. And I was on a new team. I was in a new department entirely. um, And I was dealing with, not dealing with, but I was experiencing things I had never experienced before. Uh, new ways to go about getting proposals approved, new management styles, new team interactions. And the world was really experiencing a shift at the time. Uh, Everything all of a sudden moved online. The community itself uh, gained 13,000 people in a month. Uh, (laughs) And it was amazing. It was Lightning air was so exciting and I loved it. 
And then it came time for more of the admin stuff where like people didn't renew, people didn't continue. Um, workshop, we did live workshops at the time. Those had to be switched around. There was a lot of movement and it felt not stable. And I couldn't see how my efforts were directly contributing to uh, KPIs or North Star metrics or really anything good for the company outside of I'm here to make people feel warm and fuzzy. <laughs> and in my mind, that's that's not a business anything. That's mm. just a nice to have if anyone even thinks that would be nice. Uh, so I was definitely, that was probably the height of my imposter syndrome. It was like, I don't understand how my position is relevant to the company. I don't get why it's important to the programs. And I don't understand what my future is. Um, and that was probably the worst part. <laughs> the most like imposter syndrome or like the most like, what the hell type of moment that I've had. And that was just because the shift came and I was unprepared for it. And I being so new, didn't feel like I was in, like I had the right to really say anything of, this is my idea and this is why we should do it. You didn't have the right or you had a feeling that you didn't have the right? I felt like I didn't have the right. What made you get over that? I feel like at some point you just kind of have to. Like at some point stuff needs to get done. And if you're not going to do it, who? I, and I was empowered by some people like um, my current direct boss is Richard Lindner. And in one of our first conversations, uh, I think he noticed he was like, uh, I, I wasn't uh, very I'm trying to think of the right way to phrase it headstrong or I wasn't um, I was asking for permission to do a lot of things. And he was just like, yeah, do it. Sure. You're an adult. <laughs> and I think that um, also helped with it as well because now it's just like, hey, I wrote all these emails. Can you just make sure I didn't do it wrong? <laughs> Are you Rather than, do you think I should write this email series, these onboardings? Do you think I should do that? Would it be helpful? The difference. Something got done and it's worst case scenario. If it doesn't get used, I can repurpose that for something else. Um, best case scenario. I just took something off of someone's plate. And you felt comfortable doing that after a while. Yeah. So after a while, imposter syndrome just ended up on the background instead of it being an everyday occurrence or. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, fun fact about the imposter syndrome, the way I'm kind of getting over it, because I think it's one of those things you don't get over, but one of those, one of the ways that's been the most helpful is community. And I don't mean me being a community manager and doing community. I mean, being a part of communities because I, uh, I'm not great at giving myself credit. However, the people I surround myself with awesome at it. They are great at giving me credit where credit's due. Uh, if you ask them what I do, they, will give you this whole spiel about all of these positive things that I have, have accomplished or will accomplish or these great ideas that I've had. And these are their words. <laughs> um, if you ask me, it's like, I run a brand community where I help um, integrate members into the digital marketer brand and yada, yada. 
I've never um, actually seen you speak like that. So I know you're more enthusiastic when you actually present them than that. Yes, I am. I um, but if you ask them, if you ask Justina, who was a community manager here before I was, she'll tell you that um, I am a community manager and a copywriter. I would have never called myself a copywriter in any stretch of the imagination before. But she made me realize that a lot of what I do is short form copywriting. So she helped me with that. Um, Jenna Snavely, she was my boss before uh, she works at a different company now, but um, she helped me just organize my thoughts in a way that made them come to life because it was when I take notes, it's very chaotic. It's I've got things in the margins over here. I've got doodles. I've got doubled sentences like written on top of each other on one line. It's just chaos. And with Jenna, she was able to support me in a way that helped me make sense of everything and make it legible for someone else in a way, create proposals that made me uh, sound smarter than what I think I am. She was like, you know what you're talking about. You just need a little structure. Here you go. She gave me structure and now I can do it. So you started believing in yourself more and more. And, and like, uh, I've noticed that you keep saying that everyone's moved on, but you're still there. So my question now is, uh, are you at any point feeling left out or like left behind? Or is this like something that's growing with you and digital marketers, digital marketer grows, you feel like you're growing with it? Um, I did. So fun fact, but not so fun fact. I actually did leave Digital Marketer for a short time. Oh, I didn't know that. Um, I went for, a, I think it was in 2021. I went to a different position because it seemed like the grass was greener. I would have more opportunity, uh, more budget and all this good stuff. And it turned out the grass was not greener. Um, and within a month, I was already messaging Ryan. <laughs> I did. I messaged Ryan and I was like, hey, Ryan, how you doing? Uh, it's awful here. <laughs> um, and uh, my job was already hired out, but they gave me a different position. They just brought me back as an account manager. Um, and then it just so happened that I was able to come back into this position at some point. Uh, so, yes, I did feel left behind because it was during that huge hiring craze where everyone was moving to different positions and everyone was getting more money and all this good stuff. Um, and I was like, I've been a digital marketer long enough. It's probably time. And then I tried it and it was awful. And so they brought me back and I was like, admittedly, I was like, well, we'll just see how this goes. We'll see if a different position, um, that I've done before and done well will be good for me. Uh, and in full honesty, I don't know that I'll leave Digital Marketer again anytime soon. You found because your I now, like I am growing with. Before, it felt like Digital Marketer was growing around me. Everyone was growing around me and I was stunted. Uh, but now I feel um, like I'm right on track with where Digital Marketer is going. So let me ask you, in what ways has... Uh your experiences with digital marketer and digital marketer changed over the years. So <laughs> digital marketer, I consider like my first big, big adult job mm. before this, I was a pharmacy tech and I did massage therapy and 
I had done different things, receptionist, vet tech, all this stuff. And those are all adult jobs. Don't get me wrong. But this felt like my first big adult office job. Um, and when I joined, we were very much startup vibes. There was ping pong tables. We got barbecue every Wednesday. We had meetings where we would drink wine and beer and all of this good stuff. It was very much that vibe. Um, and we made jokes that we probably shouldn't have made <laughs> all the time. Um, but it just felt like a, a bunch of friends hanging out and doing work together. Um, now, in a digital marketer, we're still friends. But it's definitely, I don't want to call it corporate because it's not even corporate, but it, we've grown up, like gone from keg stands to bourbon tastings <laughs> type of vibes. Like now uh, it's not just about making money. Now it's about creating a change and being a catalyst for that and doing what we can to love, protect and respect our customers and our members. And just for everyone out there, I'm also a digital marketer certified partner. So when she's referring to the community, she's actually bringing me into that whole aspect of ratio, as I'd like to call it. But um, so I want to find out more about you. I want to know more about you. What was it like growing up as Michelle Knight? I think pretty standard. <laughs> so um, I was raised in Austin, Texas and the surrounding areas um, by mostly my mother, my dad is present, love him, but uh, I was definitely raised by my single mother. And uh, I am the youngest of four, and they are all boys, and they are all much more grown than I am. Like, by the time I was four, two of them had already moved out. I think the probably the most interesting thing about it was growing up with uh, the spoiled, younger, ch almost only child kind of vibes, but then having enough brothers to really humble me when I needed it. I think I was the youngest too. So uh, growing up with me, I was the youngest of the whole family. Mm -hmm. And it's just my sister and I. I have two older sisters that I've never actually met until recently. So uh, with me and like, uh, I was the one that always got beat up. Mm -hmm. Like they beat the hell out of me. And every single day they like, I felt like I was not welcomed. Mm -hmm. They just beat me up because I was the young one and I was easy to get picked up on. But it's that whole time, like those emotions would kick in and you'd feel mm -hmm. that imposter syndrome. Like you don't belong with your own family. And uh, that's how I felt growing up. And that's why imposter syndrome was a big thing for me. And that's why I dedicated this whole podcast to defeating imposter syndrome. Did you ever in your life felt that way being the youngest I definitely felt out of place sometimes. Being the youngest, my brothers were all essentially done growing by the time I was born and definitely by the time I was like having memories, you know, like four years old at the oldest. Um, and so they would go out and do things and I could never come along. Like, and once they hit 21, they were going out to bars and clubs and I was sitting at home with my mom and all my tias, you know, just whatever we did, you know, just making tamales or just watching soap operas or hanging out with the other little kids that my cousin's kids, I was, the age gap is so big. My aunts didn't have kids my age. Their kids had kids my age. Wow. So I got to hang with them a little bit. Um, so it was definitely weird. It, it, I think there was almost like, having additional parents. 
um, in a way, but like not the nice way. Mm-hmm. Like the way a brother would be a parent is, well, you didn't ask permission to go outside. I don't care if mom said you can go. And then I'd be stuck inside. And then mom would yell at them when she got home. I feel like they have the authority to just beat you down. Yes. Mm. So I th- they were kids still. They were like 16 to 20 something. So I think that that can definitely contribute it, contribute a little bit to the imposter syndrome of being the odd one out a lot of the time. Um, I didn't really defeat that with my brothers until after I turned 21, because then I could go do stuff with them. Now, did they want me to in the beginning? I think they did for the novelty of it, of like, she's 21 now. But I don't think that they necessarily wanted their little sister along. Well, because they probably grew out of that whole timeline too, right? Like, my sister's two years older than me, but up until, like, still today, like, she doesn't want to hang out with me. I don't see her wanting to go to clubs or go out for coffee with me. So with me personally, it's like, I'm okay with that. I do get along with my sister. Don't get me wrong. We always fight, but that's sibling rivalry. But at yeah. the same time, I felt like I never had that connection with her to actually go out there and go clubbing with her, go hang out with her. And uh, yeah. that does contribute to imposter syndrome because now you have someone you looked up to your whole life mm-hmm. and they still, even as a grown up, don't spend time with you. So yeah, I have that with one brother. Uh, the other two grew up near me. One of them, uh, I would consider one of my best friends just because we grew up so close. He was always around. Um, another one, he grew up fast. He had a family. So he's definitely like the brother that has his stuff together and look up to. And then the oldest brother, uh, when he turned 18, he joined the Marines and he was gone. Nice. So like, I don't have any little Michelle memories of him. Uh, and to date, we're good. We get along. We don't really talk unless we have to. Like, there's a reason. Like, I would never just call him up to say hi, but I would call him up to update him on something or if we have a question that I need answered that I know he would know the answer to. Um, But, like, you can feel the awkward when it's just me and him of, like, oh, crap, we have to have a conversation. How's the weather? (laughs) Because we don't have a whole lot in common. He's 16 years older than me. It's all generational gap right there. Exactly. So it could be kind of difficult. I see that. I think I have a generational gap with uh, my older sister. And uh, I've actually only met her a couple of times. And uh, mm-hmm. it's funny, too, because like I don't talk about this often. But I didn't know she existed until I was like 25, 26. So with that in mind, it's like, how do I communicate with her now? Like, how do I like... You know, because I do want to have that relationship with her. So mm-hmm. I just don't know how. And it's like, uh, I want to, like, it'd be cool to me for Thanksgiving. It'll be cool to me for Christmas. She's got her own family, though, and she's a grandmother now, too. So mm-hmm. with me personally, like, being able to connect with that aspect would be great. Being able to connect with her family now would be great. But except that might too late on that. That's why I always thought. And that's why it's like, maybe I'm I don't think it's too late. I mean, I think that a lot of stuff from our childhood affects us. Like, I will say, like, being the child of a single mother who worked full-time job and all the good stuff, I'm definitely um, a little bit of a pushover and a bit of a people pleaser now as an adult um, because she worked so much that I was like, well, got to be good while she's home because I don't want anything bad. I don't want to make her mad. 
it was that type of vibe. Um, but I think that it's just about finding that commonality, <laughs> which is funny. Community is all about uh, bringing people together who have uncommon commonalities. There has to be something in common. Um, if we're talking in terms of siblings, my oldest brother, one of the reasons I think that we, while we can get awkward, still very much my brother, still very much love him. And if he was like, I'm going to come visit, I'd be like, hell yes, stay with me. Um, and I think that I got lucky with my other brothers being between us because they all grew up together. So they know each other very well. They get along really well. Um, and I'm closest to one of them, the youngest one, and he's one of my best friends. So <laughs> the love language in our family is very much uh, bullying, but with love. Like, I can pick on you, but absolutely no one else can. Um, and so I got that from that brother, and he shares that with the other two brothers. So it's more of like we speak the same language as far as affection goes. I will never tell my brothers, hey, I love you. But they know it because I bully them the right way. <laughs> I feel that with my sisters, too. I bully. Well, I tell my sister all the time, don't be a little bitch. <laughs> like, if she's going to complain about something, I just straight out tell her. And it's fun to do that because, like, you know, she I know she's not going to fight back on that. She's going to laugh at me. Or she's going to be like, you know, we'll have an argument and by tomorrow we'll be forgotten. So, oh, yeah. But the whole thing, like, the aspect I was going at is, like, we have a family that, yeah, okay, so everyone has their issues. It's like, you know, sort of. You come together as a family. How does a community attract that family-oriented vibe? So it comes down to that um, uncommon commonalities thing. Uh, for a community to actually become a community, there has to be something that people have in common. And digital marketer, super easy. Marketing. <laughs> They're all marketers or they want to be marketers or they're at the very least a member of digital marketer it's super easy that one we got lucky um so as long as there's something to connect you just like on the surface level people can find deeper things to be connected about for example today in dm engage one of my posts going up or may have already gone up is a roll call for e-commerce marketers it went up basically anyone in e-commerce or that serves e-commerce because you're already a member of digital marketer. There's your common thing right there. Now let's get deeper and find who are the e-commerce people so that, that way they can connect. So that's what we're working on right now. Hopefully that's popping off a little bit. And then it also provides me with a little bit of, uh, in a selfish way, I now know who is in that industry so I can call on them when questions arise. I had a famous call their hand. They're saying, oh, I'm an e-commerce. I'm a Shopify expert. I'm a WooCommerce expert. I run uh, 12 different stores and they are all incredible and I sell these things. So if six months from now, someone says, hey, what are your favorite Shopify plugins for running contests? I can go, oh, wait. I have a post for this and I can go and look and see who's a Shopify expert who has run these type of contests before. And I can tag them and I can connect these two people together. Oh, it's not selfish at all. It's actually, you're taking a niche that someone has and you're connecting it with someone else to actually grow their business. Both. So see, I said selfish. Yeah. It's really serving, yeah. but it just makes my life easier. Yeah. Well, that's so plus. 
and make sure life yeah. is here because now you know who to connect with who. Mm -hmm. And oh. that'll just bring more value. So by doing that, I accomplish two things by connecting those two people. Um, I provide value to the person who asked the question. They get an answer. Yeah. I make the person who I tagged feel like an authority. I provide them with that authority of this is the Shopify expert I wanted to connect you with. That's all today. Mm -hmm. hmm. So uh, is that just a one-off thing with e-commerce now to, as of today, or is that something that's going to have like a series behind it? Like you're going to ask a series of e-commerce questions or are you moving on? Uh, to this the I'm asking e-commerce because we're in that season of black Friday and the holidays are coming up. And so it's just topical. If I can be topical, I want to be topical. Um, so I have a post going up asking about e-commerce experts. I have another one going up about um, Black Friday prep. Like, what have you already done? Because people like you and I know the prep should have been done months ago. So what did you do? Um, I have one going up on Black Friday that is, um, I have something called Shameless Plugs, which is an opportunity for people to post um, essentially a resource roundup, uh, podcasts they've done, blog, art blog articles, um, lead magnets, but they have to be ungated, things like that. Um, I'm doing a Black Friday edition where it's, you can post your offers. If it's somehow relevant to the community, this is your freebie to promote within these bounds. So I have a few different things going up, and that's just because that's the season right now. And that's what's relevant to the people who are within that community. So your posts are also seasonal. Mm -hmm. uh, I try to keep them. I have a content key that is uh, a mile long of different post ideas and things that I do. Uh, I have posts that I do every week. I have posts that I do every month, every quarter, and every year. And then I just kind of fill in the gaps based off of what is happening right now. So I'm also a big believer, and I spoke with Mark about this too, that community is the future. I believe that because I believe that with engagement being based all on artificial intelligence now, everyone's engaging with ChatGPT or you have content at scale, you have Jasper. And everyone's doing everything to make their lives easier utilizing AI, which totally rips the humanity out of it all, like the human-to-human -human mm -hmm. contact that we desire. So I do believe that community altogether is going to come to be one of the most important things in marketing. Now, how do you, as a community manager, take AI and utilize it for your own future? Uh I use AI in a couple of different ways. Uh, one is to help me with that very important organization. Because sometimes I need to come up with a content calendar for three standing communities and my brain doesn't work. Once in a while, it happens. And so I'll use ChatGPT just to make a schedule. I'll say, these are the names of the posts that I need up. These are the dates I need them up. Here are the things happening in between. For example, if we're doing a promotion of some sort that would somehow be relevant to the community, I don't push promotions because I don't want to cannibalize our community. I want to respect that these people already pay us money. There's no reason for me to be throwing promotions in their face every day. Um, but once in a while, if it's relevant, I will absolutely add that into there. Um, and I'll just be like, 
write out a schedule for two weeks for me. And it'll be like, okay, Monday, this, Tuesday, this. And I'm like, yes, thank you. Because I didn't want to have to write that out or do the math or organize that at all in my brain to put it onto a Google sheet that I turned into a calendar. Um, and then sometimes I just need help. I'm not a marketing expert. And sometimes I need help turning the uh, content I have access to into something that is bite-sized and understandable in for a community poster series. Because we have thousands of thousands of hours of content available. And uh, I'm going to be fully honest, I don't want to watch an hour video to come up <laughs> with these posts. So I'll essentially provide it with this information. I'll be like, this is the post. Here's who's it's for. Here is... Um, the relevant information, highlight these three things and let it go. And then I'll take what it does and I'll rewrite it because part of community is that authenticity. Um, Chat GPT isn't fantastic at being authentic. <laughs> it can't replicate me. AI is incredible. It cannot replicate the way that I speak. It cannot replicate the way that I think. So I have to rewrite absolutely everything that comes out of there. I'm just using it as a framework or an outline for what I need. Um, so that is, I use mostly chat GPT and that is how I use it for most um, stuff is organization and helping me create outlines for content that I write. I would say research, but it's not great for that. Uh, we all know why. Well, the reason I ask is because I always like, you always write this great content and you always know what you're writing. And every single day that I see it, it's always something different. And my whole theory is like, where does Michelle come up with this? Like, how does Michelle like have so much time to write this whole like content creation system, let's say, how does she have all this time to manage the community? How does she have all this time? Not only that, but you're also on the mastermind calls. You're also on your Slack channels. So how does Michelle like balance her time with her personal and her professional self? You know, Red Bull helps. Um, <laughs> I think that something that I actually learned from Ryan was time blocking. So uh, that is insanely helpful for me yeah. because I think like the Pomodoro method is technically like what I do. Um, but I have, there's a time and a place for me to accomplish everything. And if it doesn't fit on the calendar, it ain't happening that week. Um, but every morning I have a 30 minute block on my calendar that is dedicated specifically to skimming through the communities, finding people who need help, finding any fires that need to be put out and responding to people. And then I have meeting here, meeting here, meeting there. Then I have on Thursdays and Fridays, I'm blocked out to write the newsletters because I write a newsletter for lab. I write a newsletter for CP and I write one for M3. So I have time blocked for that. And then um, I also have blocks out for all of the calls. And when you look at my calendar, you're like, oh, there's no time for everything. But in reality, I have... I put spots for everything that I need to do. I even have like a wrap up. So the last 30 minutes of my day, I make sure I accomplish certain things. Um, and then whenever it comes time for me to do stuff, I think probably the most time consuming thing I do is the content calendar and writing. 
most people probably think they're like, oh, it takes like an hour to do the calendar. No, that's like a full day because it's me juggling. I'm having to uh, figure out what events are happening during certain times. Are we going to be having an in-person event that month? Are we going to be doing double the calls? Um, I'm on like program specific calls um, anywhere between six to 10 hours a week. So I have to make sure and put those in there. Um, Are we running any certain promotions? Are we releasing any new products, any new content? Where does this all fit into this calendar? Okay, I filled those holes. Now I have to plug in the regular stuff into those gaps. And so it's a lot of me juggling what's already happening with what needs to happen. Uh, And then I have to write it all, which some of them are templated. Uh, Things that I do weekly, absolutely templates. Every Monday, there is a one week, one thing post, which is a, hey, what's the one thing you want to accomplish this week? That is absolutely a template. And I just schedule those months in advance so I don't have to worry about them because I know they're going to come out every Monday. And then um, every Tuesday, there's a tip jar, which kind of is a templated thing, but it changes because tip jars are, hey, (laughs) content marketing, do you do that? What's your best tip? That's a very... (laughs) very simple, simple version of what I'm talking about. But I have those that go out. And then every Friday, of course, we have agencies talk and a new member welcome. Those are absolutely templated. I just copy paste and edit what I need to and send those out. So what I can template, I absolutely template. Uh, What I can't, I make sure to set aside time to do. And I'd say writing the content for a month and creating the calendar probably takes me about a week. Okay. (laughs) So I have actually one big question. It's not a big question, but it's a question that's like um, been on my mind for a while because uh, when I first got involved or not even first got involved, but I guess I did a Google search on Ryan Dice's name and imposter syndrome came up. He had a video on imposter syndrome and he had a video talking about how uh, he fired himself from his job, from his position as CEO and... um, does he pass along any tips to overcoming imposter syndrome or for starters for another one too? I know he's big on fake humility and he totally despises it. My question to you is, have you ever felt that around him and has he helped you grow past that? Uh, I have never felt any fake humility around Ryan because any humility he has is absolutely genuine. I think that what I think what's special about Ryan is obviously he's brilliant. Yeah. He's a marketer through and through, and he knows what he's talking about. He knows uh, all about business. He's good at this. He didn't get where he is for no reason. Um, however, you try convincing him of that. He he made a character diamond for us, I think, in like 2015, 2016. Um, and if you're familiar with character diamonds, it's kind of like this concept of these are the traits that someone holds this is what your these are the traits your company holds. What uh, fictional character do you resonate with? Now he did it for the company, but I really feel like he did it for himself. Um, but after everything, he called the company. It's like we're very much just kind of bumbling around, figuring out what works, and then if it doesn't work, we just want to do it again. He called us idiot savants. <laughs> And I really feel like he was talking more about himself than he was the company because we all just kind of followed in his footsteps. What Ryan did, we did. What Ryan, the vibes he put out, 
same vibes. Um, so I think that Ryan is very much what you see is what you get. There's no fake humility there. He is brilliant, but I don't think he acknowledges how brilliant he is. He is wonderful to work for. Um, he, uh, I have nothing but good things to say about Ryan. Uh, has he helped me? Yes. <laughs> um, I don't know if he knows that he's helped me. Um, because it hasn't been necessarily direct. Like Ryan has never sat me down and had a conversation that made me just change something. But Ryan created an environment where change is absolutely encouraged mm -hmm. if it's the right way. Communication is encouraged. It is okay. In fact, it is one of our core values to ask why. Do not blindly follow whatever leadership says. Question. Know the why. Um, and so I think that, yes, he has helped because he just gave me an opportunity to find the place that made me feel most comfortable to be myself. I don't think I fully knew who I was until after I came to Digital Marketer because I was given free reign to. If I was a chicken, you'd call me a free range chicken. Love that one. <laughs> the reason why I bring up fake humility and Ryan dies together, because in that same sentence, he spoke about how not to be fake humble. And I didn't realize that I was doing that. So the whole thing with that is that if you're sitting there, if you're in a group chat and you have something to say, but you're afraid to say it because you fear someone's going to call you out on it or someone's going to say something. And you're just sitting there pretending that you're humble enough to actually not ask that question means it's fake humility. You're not really humble. You just don't want to look like an idiot. And that's like yeah. that at that point, it made me realize that I was fake humble. I'm not really being humble for the sake that I want someone else to talk. I'm being humble for the sake that I don't want to sound like an idiot or I don't want to sound stupid. And that to me, like really like brought me to the next level and made me realize that, hey, I'm being an idiot. I really should speak my speak. And if someone does attack me, then I shouldn't be afraid to eat that dirt because at mm -hmm. that same time I'm speaking, I'm coming out, I'm growing. And if I don't do that, I'm not growing. And I learned that in yeah. like a 30 second video from Ryan Dice, which is why mm -hmm. Ryan Dice taught me in 30 seconds, all about imposter and fake humility. I could imagine working for him for the last 10 years, what that would be like. It's a blast. <laughs> Brian's wonderful to work for. He makes he makes work fun, especially when he's involved. Um, but yeah, I totally agree. I definitely noticed something. I, I did this project years ago, and it basically had me question, not question, but like interview people I know that were close to me, people that I work with, people that I know personally, um, and ask them questions about myself. And they had to be fully honest, and I wasn't allowed to interrupt, and I wasn't mm -hmm. allowed to argue. Um, and one of the things that someone said to me, it was Jenna. She was my boss previously and something that I connect with Richard and I'll connect them. I swear here in a second was, um, Jenna told me is a lot of the times I know the right answer, but I wait until everyone else has finished talking before I say something. Mm -hmm. And I always thought that was me being polite. That was me intaking everything. Uh, before I said something to make sure that I wasn't 
coming out of left field or that I wasn't wrong. If you have an idea or you know the answer, just say it. Don't wait for everyone else to speak first. Raise your hand and say something. And I was like, oh, damn. Uh, (laughs) Oh, got called out. Um, And then something that Richard told me when he became my direct boss was something that he really respects about me was I am not only willing to, the first thing I do is I have conversations in public. If I have a question and it needs to be answered, I I will absolutely not shy away from hopping in the main Slack channel at channeling everyone on the team and saying, I have this question. I need the answer. Who do I need to talk to? And I will hash it out right there. And I always thought it was one of the worst things about me because if I want an answer, I'm going to get an answer. I, you hear me. I'm like, if I don't know the answer, I'm going to find someone who does. But having that validation from uh, Richard that like, yeah, you have the conversations in public and that's awesome. And then having the, the, and that was after Jenna had already told me and I had been working on the, if you have the question or you have the answer that will make everyone's life easier, just let it out. Mm-hmm. And I think that's when exactly that moment when mm-hmm. I felt like you have to let that question, you have to ask that question. I felt that that's yeah. where humility came from. And that's where mm-hmm. you understand that you're humble enough to understand that you don't know it all. So it was a big break for me too. And that's where like I stand today is I need to ask more questions and I need not to be afraid to ask those questions. And sometimes inside our mastermind, you'll see that I'm afraid to ask the question, but I ask it anyway. Because you call me out at the time, but... Humility is huge in community. And I don't think that's really talked about enough is how important humility is to just the community experience, because you need to be humble enough to ask for help. If you're not asking questions, no one can help you. You get no value. They get no opportunity to know you. Humility and empathy are absolutely massive within the community realm. Because you have to be humble enough to ask for help, but you also have to be confident enough to provide assistance when you know that you are the person for it. I I think that's 300% with you on that. So uh, one more question. Looking ahead now, what would you say is the future of community or the future of digital marketing altogether? Ooh, that's a big one. Um, So earlier you were talking about how the future of uh, marketing is community. Man, it's community is the future of a lot of business. Um, I would argue that it is the past, the present, and the future, but those people are just starting to recognize it Mm. because community a lot of times has been restricted to this idea of like forums when in reality, community is anything relationship building. It's any interaction with another person. So I think that the future of community and digital marketing really comes down to um, us building more meaningful relationships with our customers and our clients and our network. Because people aren't going to Google and asking, uh, well, I mean, they are, some are, but people aren't going to Google and saying, uh, who's the best roofer in my neighborhood? They're going to their local Facebook group for their neighborhood or for their city and saying, do you have recommendations for a roofer who can help me with this issue? And then it's people in the comments chiming in with, I've worked with Owl's Roofing Service and they're amazing, bar none. And rather than a Yelp review, 
which itself is community, if you really think about it. But that's where it's going is people are looking towards community, the people that they have common, uncommon commonalities with for these questions, for the knowledge to learn. And that is where the future of digital marketing and community are really going to merge is providing that place for those people to get their questions answered, becoming that uh, trusted area. So what piece of advice would you offer people that are starting up now that they're just at their before the rise phase? And what would you give them to actually achieve that after the set moment? Uh, advice. We're talking imposter syndrome here. Too, I'm right? talking about any type of advice you can give them towards growing their business or towards. Um, okay. Uh, let's see. I'm trying to think of a few, a few here. I think the biggest one is going to be uh, no one knows your ideal client like you do. So if you're not sure about something that probably doesn't fit. Uh, and in, uh, in that one, let me also say, not everyone is your ideal client. Mm. If you're looking at who wants to buy my product and your answer is everyone, you don't know who your ideal client is. You absolutely need to figure that out. Uh, if you're talking to everyone, you are talking to no one. If you're just with a megaphone on the side of the road, yelling at traffic going by, what you need to do is narrow that down. Um, that is probably going to be the biggest one as far as marketing efforts. Figure out who your ideal client is so that way the work that you're putting in is actually meaningful and you're not just throwing money in the garbage and putting all of that effort towards nothing. That's great. So I'm going to pull a mark here. Where can my followers or my listeners, you know, the millions and millions of my fans go to find out more about you? Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn. Michelle Knight at uh, my URL, I think is like the linkedin.com Michelle Knight CMTY. Uh, if you're still on the Twitters or the X, you can find me at Michelle CMTY. Uh, but honestly, those are probably going to be the best places unless you want to find me on Facebook, which is actually Michelle Dalton, because I got that verified blue thing and they won't let me change my name. <laughs> oh, really? You can't change your name after can't change my name until I have like all of the legal documentation to do it. Uh, so that's one of my missions while I'm here is to get all of that in place so I can finally use my name, my real name. Uh, thank you, Michelle. You've been great. Thank you, Gabe. I enjoyed talking with yeah. you.